Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 23. Last week, I finished the history of the Second Dynasty of Ancient Egypt, covered the entire Third, and got started on the Fourth. I also spent a decent amount of time on those icons of Ancient Egypt, the pyramids. This week, I'm picking up with the pharaoh, the Jephra, of the Fourth Dynasty, and working my way through the first three pharaohs of the Fifth Dynasty, spending the entire episode in the Old Kingdom. So let's get started. After Khufu was his son to Jephra, who probably ruled between 10 and 14 years, sometime around 2575 BC. The Turin list claims 8 years. There may have been 11 cattle censuses, but then again, some of these could have occurred during the reign of his successor. Adding to the confusion is the uncertainty if the cattle census was annual or biannual during his reign. Dejephra was the first pharaoh to use the title that translates to the son of Ra. During his reign, however long it may have been, he built his mortuary pyramid. As part of his pyramid complex was perhaps the first sphinx. After this, some researchers believed he had the sphinx at Giza built, perhaps the best known sphinx in the world. These same researchers believed that the image on the sphinx may be that of his father, Khufu. But there are other researchers who think that Djefra's son built it. More on him in a bit. And that's about all that's known of Djefra. He did have a tomb, but it did not stand the test of time, and only traces of it have been found, and by traces, I mean the rough outline of its foundation. Djefra was succeeded by his son, Khafra. And just for clarity, we're still in the fourth dynasty, and therefore the old kingdom. Not much is known about Khafra either. Well, with the exception of what we read from Herodotus and Diodorus. They both recorded that Khafra was a cruel and heretic ruler who kept the Egyptian temples closed after Khufu had sealed them. But they also reported that he was Khufu's son, not his grandson. So why did the pair of Greek historians have so much disdain for the Old Kingdom rulers? Modern researchers think that Herodotus and Diodorus' stories were an intentional form of defamation, maybe based on both the author's philosophy. Oversized tombs, such as the Giza pyramids, must have disgusted the Greeks, maybe because they knew of the heretic pharaoh Akhenaten and his self-important building projects. This extremely negative personification was projected on Akafra and on his grandfather, obviously due to their oversized pyramids. The view was furthered by the fact that during Khafra's lifetime, only the pharaoh could create and display oversized statues made from precious stone. To the Greeks, and maybe even the priest of the New Kingdom, only a megalomaniac dictator would do such a thing. And the public in these periods, meaning the New Kingdom and the Greeks, were apt to believe such tall tales. The actual dates of Khafra's reign have yet to be precisely determined. Some researchers believe it was between 2558 and 2532 BC, so 26 years. Manetho reported 66 years and said nothing else of him. The Turin list makes no claim. 
An uncovered tomb of one of his relatives records about a 25-year reign, which is similar to what modern researchers believe. Khafre built the second largest pyramid at Giza, really, really close to his grandfather's Great Pyramid. Now, Khafre's pyramid was 10 feet, or about 3 meters shorter than the original height of the Great Pyramid. But, as you will remember from the last episode, the Great Pyramid has lost its capstone. So has Khafre's. So, Khafre's is still smaller, but its foundation sits higher, 33 feet, or 10 meters higher, so it appears slightly taller. The Great Sphinx is thought to date to his reign. But this theory is built primarily on the proximity of the Sphinx to Khafre's Pyramid Temple complex. The face on the statue is seen by some to resemble the facial structure seen in Khafre's statues. The Great Sphinx may have been carved out as the guardian of Khafre's Pyramid, or as a symbol of royal power. Later, during the New Kingdom, it would be deified. The historic record shows that Bicaris succeeded Khafre. But both Herodotus and Diodorus failed to mention him, apparently skipping his reign and naming his successor. I'll get to him in a minute. The fabulous Greek duo also misordered the earlier 4th dynasty pharaohs, so you can't rely on their writings entirely either. Bicaris took the throne sometime around 2570 BC, so still well before Abraham. Manetho listed him as a ruler who reigned for 22 years. But, by now you should know that his dates are rather exaggerated. There is very partial archaeological evidence that suggests his name. But it seems to always be in slightly different forms and requires a bit of stretching to make it fit. So maybe he did rule, maybe not. The Turin list is damaged in the section where someone would have been and the blank space on the list was about two years. And a short reign such as this would leave few monuments and certainly no time for a pyramid, and no exact burial place is known. He might have been buried in an unfinished northern pyramid of Zoe el Arian. This tomb was left unfinished right after the foundation was completed, and only an oval-shaped embedded sarcophagus was found. The condition of the tomb suggests the sudden death of the pharaoh, which would have forced the tomb workers to leave the necropolis behind. Such an unfinished tomb would fit well with an assumed short-lived ruler such as Bicaris. Not all modern researchers are completely convinced that Bicaris actually existed, but if he did, he must have ruled either between Dejephra and Khafra, or between Khafra and Menkerior. Mycaris is described, at least in the very few sources that exist, as the son and follower of Djephra. And this makes the position of his reign between Djephra and Khafra at least possible. There is a king list dated to the much later Ramsesite period that suggests he was really between Khafra and Menkiri-ur. Not that any of this matters for the purpose of this podcast. He may have ruled here, he may have ruled there, he may have ruled nowhere. Like I mentioned a minute ago, the Greek pair Diodorus and Herodotus named Pharaoh Menkerior as Khafre's successor. Herodotus went on to claim that Menkera did not want to continue the trend of opulence and excess of his predecessors. 
and that he brought peace and piety back to Egypt. His rule began around 2530 BC and reigned between 18 and 22 years. Manetho said 63 years. Now, this may be the last time I mentioned at least that portion of Manetho's writing. I can't think of the last pharaoh where he was even close. The Turin Canon is damaged at this spot, of course. The current belief is he ruled for around 18 years, and there is an inscription that mentions 11 cattle censuses, so possibly up to 22 years. Mincarrier is most well known for his tomb, a pyramid at Giza. It's the smallest of the three main pyramids at Giza, only 215 feet, or 65 and a half meters tall. And, despite being the smallest, it's not that small. It's still taller than any of the buildings in the ancient city of Rome. And, before you write in, I don't consider the Vatican, so St. Peter's, to be in the ancient part of Rome. The Forum, Colosseum, Pantheon, etc. And now for a more modern, interesting sidebar. In 1837, English Army officer Richard Weiss and engineer John Peering began to excavate inside the pyramid of Mincarrier. In the main burial chamber of the pyramid, they found a large basalt sarcophagus 8 feet or 2.5 meters long, 3 feet or just under a meter wide, and almost 3 feet or under a meter high slightly larger than a full-sized U.S. refrigerator. It was inscribed with hieroglyphs decorated in the style of a palace facade. Next to the burial chamber were wooden fragments of a coffin bearing the name Mincarrier, along with a partial skeleton wrapped in a coarse cloth. The sarcophagus was removed from the pyramid and sent by the merchant ship Beatrice to England, and an unfortunate thing happened along the way. The ship was lost, meaning it sank, after leaving the port at Malta. Fortunately, not all of the artifacts found at the pyramid were aboard the Beatrice, and some pieces did make it to the British Museum in London, where they remain today. The wooden coffin pieces are currently on display. It is thought that the coffin was a replacement, made during the much later site period, almost 2,000 years after the pharaoh's original burial. Radiocarbon dating of the bone fragments from inside the tomb date to a much later time, from the Coptic period, in the first centuries AD, so not the bones of the pharaoh. Mincarrier was succeeded by Ashepsasik, who ruled for about seven years towards the end of the 25th century BC, and Shepsasik ended up being the last ruler of the 4th dynasty. About all he's known for is his tomb in a temple complex at the Pyramid of Mincarrier. He is listed on all of the king lists I've covered, Turin, Manetho, and the Palermo Stone. But the three do differ on his reign length and successor. He may have been succeeded by a ruler named Jedefta. At least the Turin list claims this. Manetho notes the existence of an unnamed ruler before the start of the 5th dynasty but there has been no archaeological evidence uncovered, at least so far, that attests either. Most likely, the next ruler was Yersirkov, the founder of the 5th dynasty of Egypt. He was also the first pharaoh to build a sun temple, in his case at Abusir, 
More on that in a second. He continued the tradition of building pyramids. His triangular tomb was located at Saqqara. He reigned from 2494 to 2487 BC, so seven years, at least according to the Turin list. The Palermo stone is essentially in agreement. Manetho claimed, oh wait, I said I wasn't going to mention his reign lengths anymore. Let's just say it was four times longer. According to inscriptions at his mortuary tombs, he sent a few naval expeditions to other countries along the Mediterranean. This apparently led to renewed trade with these countries. And about his sun temple. According to royal records, the construction of the temple started sometime around the fifth year of his rule, and he donated some 24 royal domains for the maintenance of the temple. It was located at Abu Sir, relatively close to Sakhebu, a locality mentioned in various sources such as the Westcar Papyrus as a cult center of Ray. Yusurkov's Sun Temple covered an area about two-thirds of an acre, so about a quarter of a hectare. It was called the Fortress of Ra. The common belief is that the construction of the temple marks a shift in their religion towards the worship of Ra, and this had other ramifications. The pharaoh may not have been worshipped any longer directly as a deity, but instead as the son of Ra, the primary deity. This new philosophy of the pharaoh may have lasted for most of the 5th dynasty, as 6 out of 7 Yusurkov's immediate successors constructed sun temples in Abusur as well. The temple faced west, towards the setting sun, in their minds a dying sun. A bust of Yusurkov was discovered in the temple. This figure is now located at the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. It's one of a very few sculptures from the period that showed the monarch wearing the red crown of Lower Egypt. Another statue of Yusurkov, also located in the Egyptian Museum, shows him wearing the more familiar blue and gold striped Namis headdress. He did build a pyramid for his tomb, and since it was completed, some think that he may have reigned for longer than seven years. But then again, the amount of time to build a pyramid and the required manpower is a subject of much debate. Yusurkov's successor, Sahur, was most likely his son. There is a theory that the first three rulers of the 5th dynasty were brothers, but this is not widely accepted. More on that in a minute. I'll go with the son opinion. Sahur was next. According to the Turin list, he reigned for 13 years, 5 months, and 12 days. Which, if you're paying attention, or if I haven't put you to sleep, or bored you to death, you'll note is a really exact number. Not like his not-so-distant predecessors, that we don't really know if they even existed. Better record-keeping. Manetho said 13 years too. Seriously. That's progress. His number agreed with the Turin list, and that's why I mentioned it, despite my previous resolution. Sahur reigned in the first half of the 25th century BC, and, just in case you're wondering, that's still about 500 years before Abraham journeyed to Egypt, as seen in Genesis chapter 12. Sahur is considered one of the most important pharaohs of the old kingdom of Egypt, this is because his reign is the political and cultural peak of the 5th dynasty. During Sahur's rule, 
Egypt apparently renewed trade with their neighbors on the Levantine coast. Trade, from the perspective of the Egyptians, to procure cedar, maybe slaves, and other items not available along the Nile. There was also trading with what they called the land of Punt, which may have been the same as the land of Put, descended from the third son of Ham, and therefore Noah's grandson. The actual location of this place is unknown, but it may have been on the Arabian Peninsula. And from this region, wherever it was, the traders returned with myrrh, malachite, and electrum. I've covered myrrh a few times, but as a refresher, it's a tree resin used in perfumes, and the ancient Egyptians used it as part of the mummification process. Malachite is a green natural mineral containing copper, but they probably didn't use it for this purpose. Instead, to them, the color green was associated with death, the power of resurrection, as well as new life and fertility. They believed that the afterlife contained an eternal paradise which resembled their lives but with no pain or suffering, and often referred to this place as the Field of Malachite. They most likely used the small amounts attained via trade as gemstones. Electrum is a natural alloy of gold and silver. At that time, the ancient Egyptians used it as an exterior coating to the pyramid-shaped pieces placed on the top of ancient Egyptian pyramids and obelisks. It was also used in the making of their drinking cups. Reliefs from his pyramid complex show that he controlled a navy, with most of the boats being about 160 feet or 50 meters in length. A unique relief depicts several Syrian brown bears, presumably brought back from the Levantine coast by a naval expedition. These bears appear in association with 12 red-painted one-handled jars from Syria and are likely a tribute from a neighbor. The expeditions were apparently successful, as artwork in his mortuary temple picture him tending to his very own myrrh tree. It's a curious piece, as it's the only known example of a pharaoh practicing horticulture. Summon the peasants for such menial tasks. Other expeditions garnered turquoise and copper from Sinai, and maybe even livestock from Libya, captured after a military campaign. The empire was certainly extending its influence, but it wasn't just extending its influence. It was also showing dominance. There's a drawing that refers to Sahar, smiting Asiatics and boasting, the great god smites the Asiatics of all countries. A long historic family tradition. Smiting. Sahar built a funeral pyramid at Abusir, and not at Saqqara, like his predecessors. It's thought he located it there to be closer to a sun temple. The pyramid was 154 feet, or 47 meters tall, or at least it was when it was built. And this was dramatically smaller than the earlier 4th dynasty behemoths at Giza. And the construction was different, too. Its inner core is made of rough-hewn stones, organized in steps and held together in many sections with a thick mortar of mud. This construction was much cheaper and faster to build than the stone-based techniques of the 4th dynasty, but as you might suspect, it couldn't withstand the ravages of time. 
Sahara's pyramid is now essentially little more than a pile of rubble showing the crude filling of debris and mortar constituting the core, which became exposed after the casing stones were carted away. The pyramid complex, specifically the mortuary temple, introduced the use of what are known as palmiform columns. These are just columns with palm leaves at the top. They would be seen throughout the empire in short order. It's this temple and its architecture that proved much more impactful than this pyramid. It would serve as the model for all such buildings for the next three centuries. His tomb also helps to potentially solve a mystery. Artwork from his pyramid complex, which was uncovered in the last few years, show that Sahur's mother was Queen Neferhotepis II, the wife of Pharaoh Yusserkov. This, naturally, makes Yusserkov the father of Sahur. Sahur is known to have been succeeded by Rainfer, who was, at least until very recently, believed to have been his brother. And by very recently, I mean 2005. It was in that year that a relief that originally adorned the causeway of Sahur's pyramid and showing Sahur seated in front of two of his sons, Rainfer and Netjari Rennie, was discovered by researchers. The text accompanying the art noted that his successor was also his son. And one of the more interesting tidbits is that both brothers were referred to as Sahar's eldest son. So, a bit speculative, but they may have been twins. And if your eldest sons are twins, how do you choose a successor? Well, it's thought that Rainfer was born first, probably by just a few minutes. Sounds a little bit like the problem Isaac faced. When Rainford took the throne, he assumed the name Neferikair Ka'ai. He ruled for between 8 and 18 years. The Palermo Stone records five cattle censuses, so probably around 10 years. And by this time, it wasn't just the heads of cattle that were being counted, but also oxen and small livestock. There is a curious text concerning his reign. A decree exempts personnel belonging to a certain temple from undertaking compulsory labor. This decree implies that taxation and compulsory labor was imposed on everybody as a general rule. Remember the theory that everyone had to help build the pyramids? This lends credence to that, but then again, the Giza pyramids were built close to a century before he reigned. Neferikar's reign was unusual in the era for the number of surviving records which describe him as being a kind and gentle ruler. When the priest Ra'ur accidentally touched the king's mace during a religious ceremony, he should have been put to death. Why? Well, remember the pharaoh was viewed as a living god in the Old Kingdom mythology. But, to the priest's relief, Neferikar quickly pardoned him and commanded that no harm should occur to the priest for the incident. Also, Neferikar gave the priest a ta, Tashepzeh, the unique honor of kissing his feet rather than the ground in front of him. Now that's generous. Finally, when the vizier, Washta, suffered a stroke at the royal court, the king quickly summoned the palace's chief doctors to treat his dying vizier. It was of no help, though. When Washtepeth died, Neferikar was reportedly inconsolable, 
and retired to his personal quarters to mourn the loss of his friend. The king then ordered the purification of Westa's body. In the king's presence, and also had an ebony coffin made for the deceased vizier. Washta was buried with special endowments and rituals courtesy of the pharaoh. It indeed was a strange time when viewed through our modern lens. Nefer-Ikar was buried in the largest pyramid of the 5th dynasty, and even so, it was never completed. It was essentially a step pyramid covered in rubble, but at this time, the construction of the pyramids was winding down. His mortuary temple was also unfinished when he died, perhaps indicating a short reign and sudden death. His sons did complete it, but with cheap mud bricks and wood rather than stone. And that's a good place to wrap up this episode. Join me next week when I'll continue with the 5th dynasty, beginning with the pharaoh Neferka, you don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, please go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. For those of you that have, like Mr. Stapleton, you are helping others to find the podcast you can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.